0: These last several weeks, we have been uh, confronted by some of the harder things that Jesus himself says in the Gospels. Through our sermon series, Why Did You Say That, Jesus? Today, we continue on in that theme with another tough word. This time, we go to Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, teacher, I've kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go and sell all of what you own and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, children. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astounded, and they said to one another, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we hear another tough word. This one hits a little close to home for some of us. We pray that we hear with clarity whatever it is that you want us to hear today. Clarity. Give it to us. May your preacher be nothing more than just a vessel, an instrument of your grace. Amen. I had a friend, a really good friend, who happened to be a a rich man prior to his death some years back. He would argue that there's money and then there's money. And he would tell you that his money wasn't all that much compared to some. But based based off of most people's standards, uh, my my friend was a very wealthy man. He was a wealthy man and a good man. He was a good man, he was a charitable man. He was a charitable man in the best kind of way. What I mean by that is when he did give, uh, very few people, if any, knew about his philanthropy. He was a good man. Because of the high demands on his life that helped him to be a wealthy man, my friend hardly ever made it to church. Usually about once a year. Maybe twice a year. Never more than that. In somewhat of a humorous twist of irony, he always seemed to show up on the Sundays that I was preaching passages of Scripture that dealt with wealth. He would have told you that there were two times in a row, about a year apart, that he heard me preach on the rich young man who was told to sell all of his possessions and how it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it was for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He shows up two times in a row, about a year apart, and it's all about camels and the eye of the needle and selling all of your possessions. I'll never forget sitting in his sunroom after him hearing that, uh passage the second time in a row, he asked me to come and see him. <laughs> I'll never forget sitting in the sunroom surrounded by all of his magnificent artwork and all of his beautiful statues and him asking me why it was that two times in a row, about a year apart, he showed up at church and I'm preaching about camels and selling your possessions. It was one of the few times in the history of preachers that one found himself at a loss for words. I mean, it's not as if I knew that he was coming. He hardly ever came. Maybe God was trying to tell him something. We both laughed at my lack of explanation as to why it was that two times in a row, my rich friend heard this passage. And then we talked about life and death we had a conversation about what really matters and this was actually the last conversation that i had with my friend sometime later we gathered around his grave we were reminded that we are all dust and to dust we shall return And then we talk some more about what really matters. Does Jesus want you to sell all of your possessions? Is it going to be hard for you to enter into the kingdom of God if you have wealth? Now, this sermon could go a few different ways. And although I'm far from wealthy, even though I do have at least one or two new pairs of shoes, I happen to like my stuff. I like my stuff a lot. I bet you like your stuff too. Most of us maintain a pretty good lifestyle with our stuff and with our conveniences Televisions, our phones, our nice cars, our nice clothes, our golf memberships. I mean, our grocery stores here have olive bars in them, because <laughs> this is something totally new for me. <laughs> I-, I thought there was only one type of olive, but our grocery stores have fresh olives in a bar, and there's all kinds. They have herb gardens where you can actually take scissors and cut fresh herbs in the grocery store. I didn't know how to spell herb until I was like 20. We've got it good. And I like it. Who wants to give up a lifestyle where you can easily walk into the grocery store and purchase some dry aged beef? That is hanging there before you. Who wants to give that up? I'm not ready to give it up yet. But along comes Jesus. Along comes Jesus. Who says sell everything. Give it all up. Give it all up. Become poor. Otherwise, good luck, camel. I curl up my toes now, and I encourage you to do the same. We have too much stuff. We have so much stuff, so many conveniences, so on and so forth, that it oftentimes distracts us from what really matters. Our abundance of stuff distracts us from what really matters. We have so much that it oftentimes prevents us from being able to connect with God. Too much stuff. It's bad for our spirits. If any of you have stock in the storage building industry, then I apologize for what comes next. Currently, the storage building industry is a $50 billion industry. That's billion with the B. Right now, the storage building industry is a $50 billion industry. It is estimated by the year 2030, it will be a $100 billion industry. Did you hear that? For those of you entering the 5th grade that's twice as much in 9 years time 100 billion dollars we spend billions and billions of dollars just on storing our stuff the stuff that cannot fit in our homes this is the extra stuff The stuff that we don't use, the stuff that we may never use again. We spend $100 billion in 2030, they say, on storing the stuff that is extra. Stuff on top of stuff on top of stuff. Could you imagine the good that we could do with all those billions of dollars? I mean, just think about it. Could you imagine the good that we could do with the money that is spent on storing the excess? You don't have to get rid of it all. But imagine what we could do with just getting rid of the extra, the stuff that won't even fit in our house. Imagine. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Billions. No more homeless veterans. Access to clean water for the world. No more hunger. Vaccine access for all types of diseases for those in places where they have no access. All we have to do is get rid of the extra stuff. The stored stuff. And the best part is we wouldn't even need help from Washington, D.C. or the state capitol to get rid of it. We wouldn't even have to to, to have a yard sale or or, or a garage sale. You see, you do that, and then your neighbor has to buy another storage unit. (laughs) It may be a pollutant. But we would be better off to just burn off the excess, just like a farmer does with their field, so that the ground may be more fertile for what comes next. All this excess stuff that we have in our homes, in our garages, and in our storage units, all it does is clutter our spirits and contaminate our hearts. And none of it can go with you when God says it's time for you to go. When they heard this, they were shocked. And they went away grieving, for they had many possessions. But Lord, we've kept all the commandments. We've been good Christians. Don't you know about the backpacks and the missional giving and the volunteer hours? The Sundays that we went to worship instead of playing golf or riding horses? Do you not know, Lord, that we have followed the rules? Well, at least the reasonable ones. And we've been doing it for years. All that is... Well and good, but you still need to downsize, thus says the Lord. Okay, so I guess it's important to note here that Jesus was talking to one particular individual about this wholesale all your possessions stuff. He was talking to one particular individual here, not necessarily everybody. I mean, how silly would it be for Jesus to... Uh, say to the, the homeless man or to the child without drinking water that they must get rid of all their possessions. That would be silly, right? It would be just about as silly as us trying to explain to Jesus why we still have billions of dollars of stuff in storage when there are such things as homeless people and people without drinking water. Amen? Oh, me. Knowing that Jesus is talking to one individual here, this one rich young man, and not necessarily all of us, will ease some of our guilt. However, with that said, that one line that Jesus had to the rich young man is a good line for all of us to ponder, regardless of how many storage units we own. That one line is, you still lack one thing. You still lack one thing if you're giving yourself a pass on the accumulation of stuff side of things, I still want you to consider what other one thing is it that you lack? What do you need to surrender so that the kingdom of God may be more real for you? If it's not stuff. What needs surrendering in your life? What one thing is it? What would you prefer to hold on to but the Lord bids you to dismiss? I want to say that for the majority of us, uh, the majority of us stuff is a good place to start. It's a good place to start the surrendering process. Because we need to remember that the whole camel conversation wasn't just with one person, it was with a bunch of people. Sure, he said to one person, sell all your possessions. But he said to many, you're going to be like the camel. The gospel of Jesus Christ will always command you to surrender something that you would rather hold on to. Always. The gospel of Jesus Christ will always command you to get rid of something tangible that you would prefer to hold on to. The gospel of Jesus Christ will always call us to surrender ourselves, our desires, and our best life. It's quite the ask, but it's the truth. So then, knowing that the gospel always commands us to surrender something that we don't want to surrender, knowing that uh, the gospel always calls us to surrender it all, the disciples' question then becomes our question. It's a valid question to ask. If all this is required, then who then can be saved? If you require all this, Lord, then who can be saved? In total and complete confusing Jesus fashion, upon telling the rich man that he only gets his real reward when he sells all of his stuff, and then telling the disciples that it is easier for the camel to go through an eye of the needle than it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. After telling them those shocking things, Jesus, in his typical confusing way, then answers the question of who can be saved by saying, for mortals it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. This is Jesus' way of saying that only God can make the eye of the needle bigger. And praise God that in Jesus, God made the eye of the needle bigger. Because otherwise, we'd all be in a bunch of trouble. Now, we can still surrender more. We can still do better. But not out of a fear that we won't fit through the eye of the needle. But in response to the fact that God made the eye of the needle bigger. We can do better. In response to what God has done. Just because with God all things are possible, and even though we who get it wrong with all of our stuff with all of our idols, with all of our misguided priorities, even though we can still be saved, that doesn't mean that we still aren't called to do better, to be better, to surrender more, to take stock of our lives and to ask God to help us to see what really matters. So that's my last question. What really matters? At the end of it all, what really matters? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for more tough words. Open our eyes, open our hearts, so that we may see what really matters. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And the church says, Amen.